Good morning. It is the 11th of January, 2024. And in a week of uh, news that makes most people want to uh, avert their eyes as if they were accidentally viewing impure material in a movie when they didn't realize they were going to, which sadly happens to many people these days, I thought we might want to visit something that I found interesting. And I want to give credit to the people in my patron Discord, if you're not aware, channel members and people who support through Patreon or even through the mail, whatever, they, they get access to a link to uh, Discord, to join our Discord group, where I'm fairly active in there, and there's some fairly lively discussions that go on. And somebody shared an article from several years ago from a website called The Wild Voice, but I've seen them in our chat before, so if you're here this morning, hello. <laughs> but um, uh, Francis may have excommunicated himself back in like 1999, and we're going to go over that story today. But I wanted to, you know, somebody was mentioning this, and I think this is dovetails really nicely off of this. I want to mention something that uh, Francis did that is just on its face absurd and has caused, of course, a lot of online consternation in Twitter. And I'm going to contradict myself here. I usually tell people to stay away from Catholic Twitter. These days, I almost think you should join Catholic Twitter. You should just join us over there. It's a fascinating place to have, have discussions. But um, katholisch.de, the official news arm, online news arm of the German bishops. Okay, this is the official one for the you know, the German Sonata Way guys, they report that Francis wants to wants the, quote, courage to step outside the box and open a dialogue for new paths for Christians, as well as the people who follow the various iterations of the hammer and sickle ideology because they have a common mission. And he gives practical examples, they say. Now, you know, I might do a video on that later in the week. <laughs> but uh, um, Edward Penton, I think it was on Twitter, He's a Catholic journalist and a blogger. Yeah, and he's like a mainstream Catholic journalist, but he's taken a pretty strident voice against things going on these days. He uh, just outlined like how 10 consecutive popes disagree with Francis and how you can't be a part of the hammer and sickle ideology in any of its iterations and still be a member of the church. So this is an interesting way of introducing this. So... Good morning to everybody in the chat. Um, I do want to uh, good just have hope everybody has a good day uh, and evening to you, those of you and afternoon to those of you in the Philippines who are checking in and Australia checking in and for you Aussies in the chat, I I do intend to follow up on the Father Rowe stuff once I get some permission to do so because I have some interesting information, but I have to hold off until I've actually given permission to do so. Well, let's actually start let's shift over to our main story today. And the question at hand is this, did Francis excommunicate himself many years ago? We know that Francis has been a friend to, uh, we'll call them stonecutter organizations of various kinds over the years. He's gotten their, he got their congratulations after becoming the alleged pontiff. He's been friendly to their member organizations since that time. He certainly represents their ideals, going so far as to repeat the slogans of liberty, equality, and fraternity. We know all that. That's all in the public record. People allege that he is a formal member of such organizations, meaning that he actually went the entire, through the entire process. Now, I have personally maintained that he isn't a formal member of those organizations because he is instead the pope that the writers of the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita were dreaming of. If you're not familiar with that book... Um, 
So back in the during the papacy of either Pius the Ninth or I want to say Leo the Thirteenth, and I think it was Leo the Thirteenth, a document from uh, stonecutters in Italy was uncovered and handed over to a uh, to the authorities in Rome, and it made its way into the hands of Leo the Thirteenth, and it was essentially the their big scheme for taking the Catholic Church and turning it into an instrument for uh, the secular authorities. I have the full recording of it on this channel, actually. It's one of the first things I put up back in like 2018 or 2019. The audio quality is going to be garbage. Just a fair warning if you want to look for it. But it outlines everything they want to do. And I mean everything. Other stonecutter organizations said that that was not their document, that they don't believe in it. That's not their thing. Don't associate them with it. One of the things they said is they wanted a pope who was who would carry their banner of values essentially into the world to sell to Catholics without ever being an or a member of the organization, because they thought him being a member of the organizations formally would actually be their entire undoing for all of the stone cutters. So just something to bear in mind. And Francis in every way looks like he he's their best candidate for that. And I'm not, I'm not the only one noticing this. Uh, saw Tim Gordon in his live stream recently mentioned that this is, he's clearly, he thinks Francis is clearly the, their choice of Pope for the, uh, to fulfill what everything that document says. But that document was thought to be so important by Leo XIII that he actually spent money from his own family's personal fortune, not Vatican funds, but his family's fortune to have it published and sent out across uh, Europe and the West in various languages. Pius X continued that work later, going into his own family fortune to do the same kinds of thing. So that that document would be translated and sent into as many places as they could as a sort of a warning to the church of what was coming. It's interesting that Pius X did that because he's the Pope we most associate with anti-modernism, you know, Pashendi and the oath against modernism and a few other things that he did. But the popes before him also were fighting against modernism in the church. So one of the things you should consider is that organization and modernism are inseparably linked. And Francis as their ideal. I mean, what secular stuff does he push all the time? You just saw what I reported from Catolish, right? Unless you're joining us late, he wants us in the uh, hammer and sickle ideology followers to all kumbaya, hold hands, and work towards a common mission. I'll probably go into that story later in the week in a little more detail. But that having been said, he is, if he's not their, their guy, then I don't know who is. Now, a set of a contest would point out that he's just the most bumbling version of that, that every Pope since Vatican II has to some degree been that person. And that's true. I mean, that's unequivocally true. I have shown pictures of Paul VI standing at the UN, addressing the UN and talking about how the church needs to work with them. Okay. And you say the same for all the successors. But Francis has taken any of that stuff to a whole new level, which is why we're going to talk about this story, though, which is it comes from The Wild Voice. So, again, if you're in the chat today, because I've seen you in the chat before, <laughs> good morning to you. Um, this was this is like an eight year old article. and It was shared in our patron discord. And this I it turns out that Francis has been an has been an honorary member of a organization. Catholics have been forbidden by papal decree since Pius XII from ever being a member of. Again, stories originally published in uh, 2015. So here we are. 
eight and a half years afterwards, and then was given an update in 2016. This was published there, and I thought we should talk about this because it would make everything in the church make sense between that's been going on in the last couple of years, especially make a lot of sense. And I've got videos that I'm working on, like standalone videos that are not like live streams for um, that will help make paint this picture better for the coming days. So, but he has been a member of an organization that you are not permitted to join. And that'd be the Rotary. Um, the article goes over how Francis is actually a member of that. And most people don't even know that you're not supposed to be a member of a Rotary. Um, I mean like the Rotary Club. I know you're probably surprised that that group might be on there. At least some of you will be. We know you're not supposed, most people know you're not supposed to be a member of uh, the Stonecutters, but the Rotary Club is on that list. And his, the, the article here very nicely includes the papal decree banning membership in that organization. And so we're going to go over it as best we can while following the rules of our, of our hosts, because they don't like certain topics they're not wild about. So here's a papal decree banning membership from that organization for Catholics. It's issued by Pius XII on the 11th of January. It was published in Osservatore Romano, Vatican City Daily. Now that's a Jesuit publication, but Osservatore Romano is basically how papal decrees are made official for officially publicly promulgated is when they appear there. And it was, uh, the English translation comes from the Archdiocese of Chicago back then, which would have been like a hotbed for this stuff. It's very short. The Supreme Sacred Congregation of the Holy Office, a decree issued Wednesday, December 20th, 1950, and then made public Jan early January the next year. The question has been asked of the Supreme Sacred Congregation whether Catholics may be members of the association commonly called the Rotary Club. After ascertaining the opinion of the Reverend Father Consulters, their eminences, the Cardinals, charged with safeguarding faith and morals, decreed in their plenary meeting of Wednesday, December 20th, 1950, as follows. Members of the clergy may not belong to a Rotary Club association or take part in its meetings. Laymen are to be urged to observe the provisions of Canon 684 of the 1917 Code of Canon Law. And on the 26th of the same month and year, His Holiness Pope Pius XII approved the resolution and ordered it published. After hearing it in an audience granted to His Excellency, the Assessor of the Holy Office, today's dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. Given at Rome in the offices of the Holy Office, January 11th, 1951, signed by the then prefect, uh, Marino Marani. It's, here's an, and you'll see here the actual um, printed decree from like a screenshot probably taken from, you know, microfilm or something. But essentially organizations like that are forbidden because they are secretive in nature. You're not supposed to do that stuff, right? If you want the closest you're allowed is the knights are famously the knights. You're allowed to go join them. Most parishes have one or parish clusters have one or something these days. If you want something like that, you can. And I think there's a women's equivalent for the knights also. The, um, of course, the Rotary wasn't exactly thrilled when that happened, but you know, whatever, who cares what they think. Um, but it also applies to various other groups too right? You're not supposed to join worldly kinds of organizations that do things behind closed doors. So this is where it gets interesting. Francis was made an honorary member back in 1999. <laughs> it's, it's worth noting here, by the way, that, um, that the actual stonecutters themselves do not claim the rotary as part of their organizations. I've seen posts of theirs that also shared in our group discord that they are actually like, considered to be like, almost like the offspring of the stonecutters which isn't exactly helping their cause. SP says one Pope's decree can be overturned by a successor. Yes, but this one never was. It could happen. Don't put anything past Francis at this point, uh, this 
uh, time. Um, but yes, so let's go. Let's go over this. The he was uh, made a member, an honorary member since 1999. While he was still Archbishop Jorge Mario Bergoglio of Buenos Aires, he was elected to and accepted an honorary membership in that organization in 1999. This fact is proudly displayed on their website with a link, and below you will see a copy of Archbishop Jorge Bergoglio's letter of acknowledgement and acceptance to Juan Carlos Betchu, president of the Buenos Aires Rotary Club. Now, there's an interesting name. That's probably a coincidence. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if you were an Italian or familiar with Italian names in the chat, let me know if the name Betchu is just one of those kind of common names. There's a lot of Italians in Argentina, and I'm sure Juan Carlos Betchu is probably not necessarily directly related to the famous cardinal who uh, flew too close to the sun and the financial infrastructure of the Vatican. But you, he's, you've got his... Um, Here's the English translation of it with this signature right here. Monsignor Jorge Mario Bergoglio, Archbishop of Buenos Aires, primate of Argentina. He says, dear sir, I'm particularly pleased to address Mr. President to acknowledge receipt of the kind note that you sent me together with the honorary secretary dated the 23rd of the current month, July, whereby you kindly confirm me as an honorary associate of this prestigious institution. I thank you warmly for this kindness. And at the same time, I congratulate you for the outstanding work that you perform for the good of the community. I reiterate to you the expressions of my heartfelt appreciation, yada, yada, yada. Now, the reason this is important is because Pius XII linked this to being members of the more well-known groups you're not supposed to join, and membership in those groups automatically excommunicates you. So the question is this. Does being an honorary member of such an organization incur the same kind of excommunication? That's a good question, I think. And I think it is probably the case that it does. So did he automatically excommunicate himself? That's a good question. But the other question is, you know, a lot of people might ask, well, Archbishop, when did he become a cardinal? He became a cardinal two years after that, almost two years. Like, I think it was 18 months after that letter, which was published publicly in Argentina in 2001 by John Paul II. He was made a cardinal. And there is a vetting process, of course, for someone to become a cardinal. After all, we saw here recently, there it was either this past consistory in the run-up to it or consistory beforehand, when the names of archbishops to be elevated were named, there were media outlets pointing out, hey, this person has got all this baggage with them. They should not be made a member of the Sacred College of Cardinals. And there have been times where people, because of this, withdrew their names. What kind of vetting process went into Bergoglio? I'm very curious about that because we know, for instance, that the Jesuit superior of his back in the 80s when he was being elevated to becoming a bishop by John Paul II, he submitted a document, a, a letter attesting to Bergoglio's unfitness to become a member of the Episcopate, that he didn't have the temperament for it and all sorts of other problems he had. This letter was put in the uh, Vatican archives and within a few days of Francis taking the throne of Peter, it disappeared. People have looked for it. It's gone. I, I do wonder if there's a copy that exists somewhere. There were thought to be other copies, but none have ever turned up. And people have looked. I've been looking for years for that letter. David Wilson says, person who joins an association which uh, schemes against the church is to be punished with a just penalty. One who promotes or takes off such an association is to be punished with an interdict. Yeah. One wonders how he managed to get promoted after that. 
SP says there's an argument that if a pope is the supreme legislator of canon law, all his actions are therefore always listed. Yeah, I don't follow that because I'd say it's why would there be canon law that restricts the, the ability of a pope to do something if that was true? The current code of canon law gives bishops rights for due process when they run into canonical problems. And the only person who can deny them their those rights are it, the only person who that would apply to, meaning you, know, you have to respect the rights of a bishop. Well, I mean, who does that? Who is that implying? That's implied that that applies to the pontiff, since the pontiff is the only one who can do things to bishops. Traditional Catholic, what I think of AA twenty five and the supposed hammer and sickle infiltration of the church. I oh, that's abs- that's practically known to be true. I mean, a- after the Cold War, we knew the uh, documents that came out from the other side, from their from their various organizations inside their state admit fully that they were the authors of liberation theology and that they were working with Bella Dodd types across the world to subvert the Catholic church. That shouldn't surprise nobody. It's a historical fact. That's not even debated at this point. So yeah, I think a 1025 is absolutely true. Um, well, Mac, they have had this information for like eight years. This article is not new. What will they do with it? Nothing nothing if they the cardinals we haven't had any response yet to the news about tuco's book from anybody in the episcopate yet except for um vegano and that's it he's the only one i think that that i know of so far that has responded but they're all they've done is issue letters after fiducia supplicants so what if, i don't think they're going to do anything here either um yeah, Joe, I do remember him receiving that uh, that very questionable crucifix. Reportedly, he gave it back to the person saying, no, that's wrong, but I don't know how true that is. Um, Marie says, sure, her parish had, had ribbons from the Rotary Club in front of their altar from their Christmas tree last week. Right. I. There have been many who say that Catholics can join such organizations, but that decree was never removed. The problem you may run into is that it's citations to the Code of Canon Law. It, cite, it cited a Code of Canon Law that doesn't exist anymore. The 1917 Code was replaced in 1983, but okay, the decree should still be standing until it's formally re- uh, removed. Other than Ivory, any reaction to Cardinal Seurat? That actually brings me to my next thing I want to talk about a little bit here. Um, and... Uh, it would make knowing that Francis has possibly removed himself from the church or at least incurred some kind of an interdict would it help explain a lot of the chaos that's happened. And so Bishop Schneider gave an interview recently and I didn't by recently, I mean, very recently. Um, the translation here is a little bit bad. So I'm just going to read from my own text, the translation that I had to work with here, but uh, Bishop Schneider gave an, inter- an interview here and he talked about how the crisis in our church today is a crisis of the magisterium. Now think about that for a moment. That's This is a magisterial crisis, the crisis of the teaching authority and the integrity of what the church has to say about matters of faith and morals. Here's what he says in this, and I'll have all these links in my show notes within a few minutes of my video that's supposed to go live at 5 a.m. Central, which is just over an hour and 20 minutes from now. I'll have all my links there for this so you can go read them for yourself. But he says... The magisterium itself is in crisis now. Quote, 
In this pontificate, we have had several acts that have not corresponded to the teaching of the previous magisterium, and this is a crisis. He said that Francis's affirmation of the validity of religious pluralism in Abu Dhabi, when the Pope suggested that God not only permitted non-Christian religions, but also willed them, was an example of the crisis. In another, it was the decision of the Argentine bishops to allow divorced and remarried Catholics to receive Holy Communion. In his speech, Cardinal Seurat also stated that the, quote, authentic magisterium will never disappear despite such errors. But the problem is, underlines Monsignor Schneider, that in the meantime, a lot of confusion is being created. It is a blessing, Schneider adds, that Francis chooses not to involve the, quote, definitive magisterium when introducing such innovations. Francis adopts a deliberately ambiguous doctrinal approach. But for Monsignor Schneider, this represents a substantial failure in the exercise of the Petrine ministry. The nature of the Pope's office is, as Jesus Christ said to Peter, confirm your brothers in the faith. This is his first task. All acts or words that do not strengthen the faith but are contrary to it or weaken the faith or confuse it are contrary to the papal ministry because the ministry of Peter is a point of reference in the church of unity of faith and in governance. He agrees with Cardinal Seurat that the lack of clarity has created a cacophony of dissenting and conflicting voices. In the church, contradictory voices among bishops are heard almost daily, and this is contrary to the Catholic faith. There's only one faith. The effect on the faithful is that they are scandalized by these contradictory voices and are confused. Now they don't know what the truth is, and this has been had a very damaging effect on the whole church. This confusion and ambiguous language, especially in the area of morality, also means that people are losing their sense of right and wrong. It is the morality of the world. The Roman Catholic Church is becoming like one of many organizations in the world, not distinguishing itself from the world's views and program. We see it. It promotes moral relativism and adopts the language of the world. The effect is also that other peoples who seek the truth, let's say non-Catholics or non-Christians who look to the papacy as an institution that provided certainty and clarity, can no longer orient themselves towards Rome. We can therefore hardly blame the new generations of Catholics if they increasingly turn to tradition, where they find beauty and truth expressed in a strong way. End quote. That's the closest you're going to get to anybody speaking up in defense of uh, Cardinal Seurat, at least yet. Some people downplay how much influence that Austin Ivore has. So I want to remind you that this is someone who can get personal meetings with Francis anytime he practically wants, because he's the papal biographer. At least for the English-speaking world, he's practically his sort of mouthpiece. He's the one who caused a headache for the Latin Mass Societies of the United Kingdom because he just reported Latin Masses in his areas for not quite following traditionalist custodis to the, to the letter. He's become kind of a legend in that, in fact, locally. So uh, so don't downplay the, the influence that Mr. Ivory has. He is not your typical lay person. He was the one who was in charge of the, or heavily involved in the drafting of the Continental Document for the Synod of Sin going into the October sessions. And I believe he was there at the October sessions. This is somebody who has a lot of pull in the Vatican. When he accuses Cardinal Seurat of essentially schism, take it seriously. All right, folks, let me know what uh, you think in the comments here. Um, I do want to uh, remind people that we do have a uh, an amusing story coming today in my news video. And I say amusing because I'm enjoying watching Francis reap the rewards of his own actions with fiducia supplicants. So the news video that'll be going live in just over an hour is worth your time in that regard. If you uh, are watching this later, then it's, you know, watching this live stream later. 
after the fact, it's worth your time to check that video out. If you haven't already, it's going to be amusing. Um, Colleen says, it, meaning the papacy, used to be the place where people looked for moral guidance and truth and correct thinking. No longer, though. Most young I know laugh at Vatican precepts these days. They live with their others. Yeah, it's true. Um, partially because the the mess in 2003, the Ted McCarrick mess, was never handled properly, ever. The only way to handle it is the way that uh, that fictional pope and the, the young pope tried to handle it by dismissing from the priesthood and the seminaries and the episcopate, everybody with the inclinations that James Martin likes to champion. That's what he did. In fact, that's one of the main plot points of that show, a show that I can't unfortunately recommend to people because their uh, HBO did what it always does with stuff. And that's add a bunch of impure stuff to it. That makes something nigh unwatchable, <laughs> which is unfortunate. But in that case, um, which is why I haven't watched uh, the follow-up, the new Pope, but that's what it would take. Really, it's what it would take, and it would cut all ties the church has to the world in the process because the world would not put up with that at all. All right, any final thoughts in the in the comment here? Damon Keller reminds us that uh, Sister Lucia interview with William Walsh, the hammer and sickle will will take over everything. Vatican City is in that. Where are Francis and Fernandez from again? Argentina, which was one of those places that kind of like walks the line between the two all the time right now, it seems to be on the more correct side of things, but we'll see. And remember also that, um, uh, the hammer sickle itself is an ideology. You don't need to have their flags over countries anymore. Most people have assumed their worldview to some degree. We all have a materialistic worldview, which is the core of their error. It's just absolute materialism. Trisha's Catholic thinks that uh, fiducia supplicants and the fallout from it is the beginning of the end of the crisis. I hope you're right, but I don't, I think it'll, I think there's more coming. Um, all right, folks. We'll probably wrap this up here. We'll see. Um, I'm going to probably focus tomorrow on the reactions we've gotten to that document or to the, uh, to the news about Cardinal Fernandez, because the reaction to that have been rich. They really, really have been. Um, yeah, Craig, I'm going to have a news video tomorrow, I think, about uh, an update on McCarrick himself, because that's an important story. Anyway, folks, thank you very much for tuning in today. May uh, God reward you greatly for any uh, prayers that you offer for people today. Keep it, uh, and um, as always, of course, pray for anybody that we talked about in these videos today, and pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.